Hello and welcome to the Dismantle Racism Show. I've been gone a while and you all had the opportunity to go back and listen to some of the shows that perhaps you haven't heard before, but it is great to be back on the show today live. The goal of our show, as you know, is to help to uncover, eradicate, and dismantle racism. And one of the ways in which we do that is we hear about the stories of everyday people who are just doing their part to dismantle racism. Because often when we talk about what can we do to change the status quo, we think that we have to go out here and do something that gives us this grand publicity, maybe, or something that that's like a big feat. But what I always say is to start where you are, use what you have and do what you can, as Arthur Ashe would say. And so that's why the stories are important for us to listen to, to make a determination about whether there are things that we could be doing that we're absolutely not doing. And so I want you to be able to listen to the show today and, um, really figure out where are you in that whole process. So if you would, I want to invite you to do what uh, I always invite you to do is to get ready for us to have a bit of uh, meditation time. And that is so we can bring ourselves into the space that we need to be in, in order to have this conversation that we're going to have today. Very excited to, to be talking about the conversation, and I want you to be prepared. So if you would, and if you are able to, I want to invite you to please close your eyes. And then I want you to close your eyes and connect with your breath. Just simply begin to breathe in and out. Breathe in and out at your normal rhythm. Connecting with that divine part of who you are. Connecting with your sacred intelligence. That part of you that helps you to make good choices. Choices that will help you to manifest your greatness while helping others to manifest their greatness. So breathe in and out, connecting with this sacred intelligence. Because your sacred intelligence will really prompt you and really let you know not only what's good for you, but it'll let you know what's good for others. It'll help to protect you from allowing others to do things to you. You will be mindful even of what you do to yourself. Because the choices are always for your best interests and the person with whom you're advocating for. So just breathe in and out, connecting with your power. Connecting with your source, whatever your source is. Just breathe in and out. Recognizing that you have the power to change the status quo. As you breathe in and out, think about the people who've come before you. The people who fought for justice. Who advocated for racial equality, gender equality. Sexuality equality. Just breathe in and out and give gratitude for them. And now give gratitude for those people who are around you now, who support you in your efforts, whether it be family, friends, colleagues. Just give gratitude for them. And now give gratitude for yourself, the ways in which you continue to show up. Give gratitude for the learning and the missteps. Just give gratitude for your gifts. And recognize that 
you are in the right place, the right body, the right position, the right socioeconomic status for you to change the status quo. You have been born for such a time as this. I want you to take a deep breath in and just breathe out slowly. And as you do, recognize that the power of one contributes to the power of community. We say, and so it is. Ashe. Amen. Oh, I always feel much better after that. And I hope that you all do as well, because it helps, again, to calm us and to center us for this dynamic conversation that we are about to have. And so today, I am going to be talking about navigating whiteness. And it's interesting because when I use that term, sometimes people might think that I'm actually referring to white people. I am referring to whiteness, which is something that no matter what your color is, we have to navigate. We have to navigate this structure that is based on white supremacy. Sometimes what happens when we navigate whiteness as people of color We navigate it so well that it actually confuses us. And we actually began to be in this place of thinking that we're just like perhaps the white people that were hanging around. Well, that has an impact on our psyche. It has an impact on who we are. It has an impact on our racial identity development. Because often we're not able to to see the racism that's showing up in the world. And as a matter of fact, sometimes we actually can turn on one another because we're so close to um, imitating whiteness and the white world that we really sort of forget about who we are until something happens that calls us back to who we are. I won't... uh, Go through all the racial identity development, but I do want to just invite you whenever you have an opportunity to please just Google racial identity development. I write about it in my book on dismantling racism. You can learn about it there as well. But when you look it up, there's information there that's about white racial identity development, black racial identity development, Asian racial identity development, and on and on and on. And one of the things that's really, um, I think, central in all of them is sort of this this idea of pre-encounter. Before we wake up, what are we like in our skin? How are we responding to what is going on? Who are we leaning more towards? And it's usually the white dominant culture. And then something happens along the way that wakes us up and we begin to become immersed in who we are racially. And so I want to just invite you to take some time to go back again and Um, look that information up. But if you are reading my book on racial identity development, I actually talk about racial identity development and equate it with Elizabeth Kubler-Ross's death and dying, because this process for us can feel like we are dying sometimes. Um, Dr. Michelle Dunlap uh, is the one who compare the two things, racial identity development with uh, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross's death and dying. And it is so brilliant the way she did that. And so I want to encourage you to go back and to look that up. If I were going to teach that today, it would probably take the whole hour. And I'm anxious to get to my guest today on the show and, uh, and, and have a conversation because my guest today is Michael Grant, who said, I thought that I was white. And so I want to hear a little bit about his story. I saw his, his YouTube video that he did on it. I thought I was white and it's fascinating. Um, and I know that he is not the only one who feels that way. And there's a danger sometimes when we think that we are white. And so 
Um, Michael will talk about that in just a few minutes. But before I bring him on, I want to tell you that he's the president and founder of Give Music Incorporated. He's a Springfield-based, which is a Springfield-based nonprofit organization whose mission is to help the world express itself through entertainment technology. He's a songwriter and a producer, and he has worked with a number of organizations, well-known organizations uh, like MGM that is in Springfield. And so I am delighted to welcome to the show today, Michael Grant. Hello, Michael. How are you? Hello. I am well. Thank you so much for, for having me here. This is, this is uh, <laughs> we're excited to have you here. Um, and so I want to start out, Michael, because um, I love watching your video. I thought I was white. So give us a context of what that means. Well, um, well, I think I always knew that I wasn't a white man. You know, I wasn't a white man, but I connected with white people more than I connected with black people. Right. So whenever I was going to a social event or um, the places that I chose to go to or the people that I befriended, all those things, I always went towards the white side of the room. Right. And musically, clothing wise, all of those things, I followed that culture to the point where I felt like I was one of them. And I would, you know, try to date the white girls and do all the things that they did. Um, the only thing I really did was eat non-white food, you know, <laughs> you know, um, but I was heavily into that culture. Mm-hmm. So I'd like to know, how did you find yourself heavily into that culture? How did I realize it? Or, well, or how were you? Did. How did you find yourself into the white culture where that oh, would gosh, be yeah. your automatic thing? Now we are going to have to take a break in just a minute, but maybe mm-hmm. you can tell us, you know, just briefly, how did you land there? Yeah, I mean, I I grew up in an all white neighborhood. My parents, um, you know, they they moved us to an all white neighborhood when I was just a baby, baby, one years old or so. So when I growing up, that's what I saw. That's mm. the community I was in, and that was the conversations I had, and that's the life I led. So that's just, that's what there was for me. Mm. So what's interesting is oftentimes we, as people of color, want to move to different neighborhoods because we know the schooling is different, yeah. the opportunities are different, and we also know that the way we get along in society and move ahead is also based on who you know and your yeah. connections. and. It is not that culturally communities of color are are outstanding. And there are lots of wonderful things that happen in communities of color. And I want to be sure to say that. But we know because of disparities, there are things that are different sometimes economically. Hmm. So parents make a decision to move to other neighborhoods. And then you're telling me that really, one of the consequences of doing that is the potential of having your child to think that they're white. Now, we're going to take a break and we come back. We're going to break this down a little bit more. I was one of those parents that moved to a different neighborhood. So I've heard stories from my own children. So I can definitely identify with that. When we come back, Michael, I want to have you to explore that a little bit more. This is the Dismantle Racism Show. I'm your host, the Reverend Dr. TLC. We'll be right back. Are you a business owner? Do you want to be a business owner? Do you work with business owners? Hi, I'm Stephen Fry, your small and medium-sized business or SMB guy, and I'm the host of the new show, Always Friday. While I love to have fun on my show, we take those Friday feelings of freedom and clarity to discuss popular topics on the minds of SMBs today. Please join me and my various special guests on Friday at 11 a.m. on talkradio.nyc. Are you a conscious co-creator? Are you on a quest to raise your vibration and your consciousness? I'm Sam Leibowitz, your conscious consultant. And on my show, The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, we will touch upon all these topics and more. Listen live at our new time on Thursdays at 12 noon Eastern Time. That's The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, Thursdays, 12 noon on talkradio.nyc.
What really drives success in business? Introducing Intangify, the show that explores the intangible assets that create value and growth. I'm Matthew Asbell, your host and an attorney focused on innovation. Join me Fridays at noon Eastern to discover how innovation, culture, and other intangibles shape thriving companies from startups to established businesses. We'll share strategies to unleash your business's true potential. Tune in live on talkradio.nyc, Fridays at noon Eastern, and Intangify, your business today. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC. Uplift, educate, empower. We're back with my guest today, Michael Grant, songwriter and music producer. And before the break, we were talking about you moving to a predominantly white neighborhood. And as a result of that, you tended to gravitate towards whiteness, white people, the music, um, dating, all of those things. But tell me what you learned about who you were as a black man in those circles. How did you feel uh, about black people, and and you know what was that process like for you? I'm I'm so happy you just said that. So to give you an example of what it's like for me, right before the break, you said something. You said you know sometimes you know our culture will move us to, into a white neighborhood because there's more um, what was safer or economic or whatever, right? But what but that doesn't mean that our culture is less than because we've moved away from that area. Yes. But what happened my brain instantly says when when I hear things like that, right? What my brain does is I don't as a child and even today, I have to consciously stop it. I judge the people, not the location. Yeah. Right? So where I am, when I'm in this white neighborhood, I feel safe, I feel economically sound, I feel like I can do something, I can go outside. I like the people I talk to every day and it's, it's a decent space. When I go into a black community, I feel like an outsider. I feel unsafe and I judge the people rather than the location. Mm -hmm. So I have to, even to this day, I have to consciously sit back for a moment and separate the people from the location and the economic disparity. Mm -hmm. Otherwise my brain naturally judges them. Mm -hmm. It is just mind boggling for me that I have to, consciously do that and reset myself even to this day but that shows how powerful socialization is right and that Mm. shows how powerful whiteness is because the system has been set up to make us believe that everything white is better and so that's why in the black communities especially and if you go to black schools schools they indoctrinate you to say this is who you are they help us to understand who we are as a people and what they also help us to understand is racism because what we what is happening in those neighborhoods where the disparities are is absolutely racism and when people are put into spaces where they don't have enough of um what they need um you know like on maslow hierarchy of need when they yeah. They're put into those spaces. Of course, it's not going to be safe because we fight for what we want and what we need. Right. And so when you're in a white neighborhood, though, looking in to those neighborhoods, you don't get a true picture of what's going on and you do judge the people. But I also want to say something else that's really important for our listeners to know. We're talking about particular black neighborhoods because Mm -hmm. there are some black neighborhoods that are nonviolent, that are high uh, upper middle class neighborhoods. And, and a lot of those neighborhoods could also be not just black, they're mixed, very mixed communities. So I want to be clear with our listeners that we are not saying every community of color is unsafe and mm. in a lower economic, socioeconomic status, but it happens to be where we live in the context of where we live often right and 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 for people who 
pay attention, you can almost tell when you cross the color line and it could just be going from one town to the next. The minute you're in it, I've been in so many situations like, oh, we're in a different city now, right? But tell us then what your growing up experience was like in terms of how other people received you or if you recognize that there were microaggressions occurring and how that impacted you. Microaggressions. Um, well, I don't think at, at that time in my life and all the way through high school, you know, I was, I was living in a white neighborhood and doing the things that white people, I thought white people did, whatever. So I, a lot of times I wouldn't notice microaggressions and I would only see it if it was overt. So um, an example was this one particular girl I was into and I watched her date all of our friend circle. But when I wanted to date her, um, she was into it, but her older brother was not. And he told me straight up, you know, you're not dating my sister, period. Mm -hmm. Um, That was slightly overt to me. And I saw the difference there. Right. And I had a best friend who um, it was that was a weird thing. That's one of the like first moments. I remember that very clearly because my cousin was from the lower economics, you know, area, right? And um, we were at my best friend's house, and we were like, "Oh, what are we gonna have for breakfast?" And he put two eggs in the microwave, and you know, gave us all eggs, and we all ate eggs in the morning. And we were going home one day, and my cousin says, "You ever notice that when we're at his house, we get two eggs, but when he comes to our house, like." mom and everybody makes these big breakfasts and he gets to participate but like his family avoids us have you ever noticed that mike and i was like no he was like i do i mm. noticed that and mm. i'm like huh and it actually was the beginning of the end of my friendship with that particular young man um but i didn't notice the things i was so oblivious to it mm. you know i was just plain oblivious as so- i got older i started to see some things so, you know, you just said something interesting. It was the beginning of the end of the friendship. Did the friendship end over racial uh, differences? Or Yeah, I would say so. His dad, so my, that particular friend had started to date a, a, a Black girl at our school. And his dad wrote him a letter. And, that, and he showed me that letter. And the letter basically said, you know, I'm good to you. I'm a great father to you. I do all these things for you and your, your room. And I did this, I did that. But the one place I draw the line is you dating a black girl. Yeah. And it it was real. And I was like, damn, these people have been great to me. Yeah. But that's really what they think. Right, right. You, you do know, one, yeah. It, you, you, you just took me back to, um, I sometimes teach at um, one of the colleges over here. And in my classes, I a lot of my students, who is a predominantly white school and and we talk about race in class all the time wherever i'm teaching i don't care what the topic is race right. is going to end it's up coming yeah right because i think kids have to young people have to be informed when they go out into the world and i can't tell you how many of my students particularly the white girls who would say if they tried to date a black person or even were friends with a black male their mm-hmm. dad their, the, the attitude would change about who could come over, who could visit and all of these other things. And so these are things that happen and they impact racially who we know ourselves to be. And what can happen is, is oftentimes we think that there's something wrong with us, right? And not looking at the fact, no, there's something wrong with them Mm. because they're the ones who have uh, those boundaries. So tell me what sorts of conversations did your parents have with you around race? That's one question. The second question, I'll throw it out there so you can. <laughs> Did they know that you thought you were white? What's so? My mom and dad definitely had different views on it. Um, my dad didn't really like white people per se. He was. I think he had had some experiences where he was he worked for the city and I think he dealt with a lot of stuff every day that he didn't share with us, but he would definitely every now and then say things that I would be like, okay, he don't like the average white man. He just, whatever. I don't remember my dad having any white friends that I can think of. My mom was kind of the opposite in that. I think it was my mom's, I, I don't know. Cause I was one years old, but I think it was my mom's idea to move to that neighborhood. Um, she wanted to be a nurse. She wanted better for her children than she had had growing up. 
I don't know what she had growing up because a lot of that was kept from us. But um, she wanted the best for us. And I think that included education and that included safety and feeling like, you know, secure in our home and financially too. So it was a very different conversation with my mom than it was with my dad. Um, so yeah, I you had a second question. I forget. What and the so the second question was, and of course you made me think of something else as you were saying that. Right. But yeah. The second question was, you know, what was, so it's around what was the conversation that they had with you about race? And you just kind of said your dad really didn't talk about it much, but then did they know that you thought you were oh, white? I don't know. Um, I never had that conversation. So both of them have passed. So I didn't have this major epiphany about what I actually thought about myself until like 2017, 2018. Mm -hmm. So, um, and I didn't really start coming out of it until George Floyd and the things that were going on in 2020. So this Mm -hmm. is all new for me. You know, a lot of this time, I always believed I could fit in a lot easier. And I want to say that differently. It wasn't just believe. I, I intentionally sought out that culture rather than my own. Mm. And I intentionally shunned my people. Mm. And it was intentional, right? So it's not just, oh, I think I'm this. Then it it was I guess it was borderline racism, right? I thought the worst of my and the word to use is is internalized racism. Okay. It's actually a concept when we don't right. like our people. Yeah. It's, it's internalized racism. Ultimately you're hating yourself because you look at those people. So what were some of the things that you thought about us? Oh, man. <laughs> oh, you don't have to give all the dirt. No, no. That's fine. But, 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 but Michael, the reason why I'm, I'm asking you this is because there's someone listening to this radio yeah. uh, show now who need to wake up themselves. Yeah. And you are describing your experience. And I know that there's somebody out there who's going to say, man, what well maybe i'm doing that or like in the case for one of my uh children someone asked her after everything that was going on with george floyd they then they'd gone to high school with her that was the first time that she's really getting people white people asking her questions around uh well what was it like for you i think she said there was one time in high school she was at a party and at every party they're playing the you know, hip hop music and with the N word in it. Yeah. And one friend who asked her, does that bother you? But see, it wasn't even her party. Right. Yeah. So it's not like she's going to go up to the person and say, can you stop playing that music? Right, right. That's what she had to be exposed to yet. And still most of her friends were white. I mean, there were some biracial folks uh, as well. Uh, but most of the time she was really going to be the, the, the darkest you know, uh, chocolate, yeah. and all that chocolate that was there, right? Yeah. There was, so much, there was so, not too much, but a lot of white chocolate, right? And so, yeah. um, and so it is important for people to understand what is happening to the psyche when okay. you are around predominantly white folks. Most of us are bicultural. So most of us know how to navigate whiteness and know how to be when we're in those spaces. And then we know how to be when we're with our folks. Hmm. So we have to take a break. But when we come back, if you if you share just a couple of things about what you thought about black people, and then I want to get into what was the shift when in 2017, 2018, or even 2020, when George Floyd passed away, because I know uh, that thinking around I know what white people thought. When, yeah. when folks were getting shot up. And so you might have been in that camp. So we're going to come right back and continue this conversation. This is the Dismantle Racism Show. We will be right back. Are you passionate about the conversation around racism? Hi, I'm Reverend Dr. TLC, host of the Dismantle Racism Show, which airs every Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern on talkradio.nyc. Join me and my amazing guests as we discuss ways to uncover, dismantle, and eradicate racism. That's Thursdays at 11 o'clock a.m. on talkradio.nyc. In a post-COVID world, you may have many unanswered questions regarding your health. Are you looking to live a healthier lifestyle? 
Do you have a desire to learn more about mental health and enhance your quality of life? Or do you just want to participate in self-understanding and awareness? I'm Frank R. Harrison, host of Frank About Health, and each Thursday, I will tackle these questions and work to enlighten you. Tune in every Thursday at 5 p.m. on talkradio.nyc, and I will be frank about health to advocate for all of us. Hey, everybody. It's Tommy D., the nonprofit sector connector, coming at you from my attic. Each week here on talkradio.nyc, I host a program, Philanthropy and Focus. Nonprofits impact us each and every day, and it's my focus to help them amplify their message and tell their story. Listen each week at 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time until 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time right here on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC at www.talkradio.nyc. Now broadcasting 24 hours a day. We are back with my guest, Michael Grant. Michael, before the break, you know, we were talking about racial identity development and your process of understanding who you are. And one of the things that you said was that you purposely shunned us and you had these thoughts about us. So can you share with us perhaps what some of those thoughts were that you had? That was like, yeah. So an example, a couple examples I thought about first when I was in high school, I remember being invited to a party. And I, my friend's party, I went over to her, to, to the base. It was a basement party. And every song they played, I just didn't know. I was there for an hour and a half. I didn't know not one song they played. Mm-hmm. I just felt completely awkward and I left. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and I was just like, I'm, I, that's not me. They can do that. Have fun. They look like they had a great time. It's just not me. It's not my music. Um, another example was um, it, uh, probably about... 22 or so I was in New York and I was in a seminar and we had come out, we were all going to to dinner in this space next to us. And there was only maybe four people that looked like me in that room. There was, you know, 300 people in there and only four or so looked like me. And there was a table of maybe three of them. And then everybody else was everywhere. And I walked in and I saw them and I intentionally did not sit at that table. Mm. I went and I sat with some other folks. Mm. And um, we had dinner, we did the thing. And as I, we were coming back, I was holding the door open. One of those girls at that table, you know, just kind of said, you know, it really hurt me that you didn't sit with us. You know, I guess she's like, I, I, I never feel attractive. And mm-hmm. you really, that really hurt. Yeah. And I was like, I don't know what to tell you, lady. You're like, instead of me being sensitive to it, I yeah. was just like, well, that's just the way it is. Like, those that type of behavior, you know, I didn't recognize that in myself. Yes. Didn't even recognize it. It's very I, you know, and that hits me. It hits yeah. me you're saying that because you see, our racial identity development not only impacts us, it impacts other people. So now this yeah. is something else that she's carrying in her psyche. Yeah. Because what 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 one of my children said to me was, especially as it came to dating in high school. I'm not, she's like, none of the white boys want to date me because I'm not good enough for the white boys. And the black boys don't want me either because they want to date a white woman. Yeah. So, and that's why for me, it was really important for my kids to go to uh, historically black colleges and universities, because the one thing is they at least knew who they were culturally because they, Mm. you can't grow up in my house and not know that. Plus we, Hung out a lot, you know, with our my family is predominantly black. Uh, the church that we would go to, I mean, you got exposure to, yeah. to who we were, um, are since they still are. Um, and so what I hear you saying though is that it, you know, it's troubling because we carry these things over into our adulthood and we marry, you know. People from those races sometimes, and when I say we, I just mean us as a as a culture. Mm-hmm. Sometimes we think mm-hmm. that to marry somebody who is also white because there are privileges that come with that, and a lot of it is unconscious. Yeah, 
right? Yeah. And so tell me what happened then, you know, around 2017, 2018, that that's made you start waking up a little bit more. And then, you know, if that leads into George Floyd's murder, you know, yeah. you can carry on through there. So what happened? Oof. Oh man, it's hard. I, I, so I, I got invited to, to, to work at a location and um, I didn't want to work there because I could see in my experience, the folks in the higher ups there cater to their people and their people only. So my people weren't really welcome there unless we were cleaning the bathrooms. And, but I got invited to work on a high executive level there because of my work ethic and what I was doing and my ability to work inside of that community, right? But I didn't want to. I really did not want to. And it took a, a while for them to convince me that they were trying to make change at that facility. Um, so I ended up going there. But while there, I, um, while I was working on that change and working on those things, I saw it still happening to my people and the young people there. And I was just, I, I, I've got more and more frustrated daily that, mm-hmm. you know, I could see is very evident. I had to, I found, I took it on myself to begin to be an example of what was possible for us, mm. right? So something moved you to that place to yeah. even want to do that. Was there a particular incident that, well, you, yeah, that that made you say, "Wait a minute, I don't want to go there and work there," because something had to shift you from being so comfortable with white people to you're now noticing. Yeah, I remember. That day, I even say it in the video. I remember uh, I was fighting with back acne, and you know, a lot of young guys are fighting with it. And I literally yelled out loud, "I hate my freaking skin!" Right? I remember yelling that out loud, and my mind did this weird, shifty thing where I realized I wasn't just talking about my acne. Mm. And I was like, "Oh shit!" <laughs> you know, yeah. I that this is deeper than this. Mm. I'm, I'm avoiding my people. Mm. I don't like my people. And I can't change the fact that I'm not those people. Mm. I need to figure out what the hell I am here. Mm. And I, it was a very slow shift for me, but then things would happen daily that would kind of, you know, remind me that I am not white. Mm. And um, as I grew and grew in that, I started, I know, was still was not advocating for my people at those points, but I realized that I wasn't white. Yeah. And that, you know, I just, I just think that's heavy. And so I want my listeners just take, take a breath and I want Michael to just take a breath too. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, 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 the, the heaviness of, yeah. of the moment, that's pretty, uh, that's pretty deep to have that shift to say, I'm not just talking about my back acne at this yeah. point, I'm talking yeah. about the deeper thing. And so psychologically, then there's this shift and then you gradually are getting to this place where you're going to fight for uh, your people. So you take this job and you notice that they are not doing what they said they were doing. Yeah, I mean, they were. There was a lot of change going on. I saw it. But the people, the the our people were still in those positions. Mm-hmm. So it was still happening and there was only so much I could do. And once you're in a certain community and you're acting a certain way for a certain number of years, there's not a lot of change. So I'm trying to be a leader and show them a different way, but they're still acting in the old way, which is perpetuating the myth, right? So I'm like, guys, we can do better here. But at the same time, I'm with you. I'm not them. I'm with you, but I am them. I like, you've got to, it's, it's a challenge. But, but I want to say this, though, and this is one of the hard lessons, I think, for people of color who if we end up in those spaces. One thing that's important to know is you can't change a system unless you're in a system. Mm. Right. And so sometimes we don't want to be in those places because we recognize that. We don't want to deal with the microaggressions and the macroaggressions that we receive. But yeah. if we want to be a change agent, we have to know how to navigate. We have to one, know how to navigate the spaces, but we have to be at the table. Yeah. And when we're at the table, we have to use our voice because to whom much is given, much is required. We cannot be at those tables and be silent. 
100%. And so so I hope that for those of you who are listening on the show, doesn't matter, uh, one, what your race is. If you're at the table, you need to advocate for other folks. But particularly for people of color, we have to use our voice. And we can't be afraid of the consequences of what's going to happen if we use our voice. Find someone whose ear you can bend. Maybe there's a trusted person at your organization that you can talk to and begin Mm. to have this conversation so that you can have an ally. Tell me, um, what happened in 2020 with your understanding of who you were with, with, with George Floyd? How did that impact you? It, wow, it's it's weird because even when you said it, I got a little emotional. So my initial, anytime a police officer shoots a black man, my first question is always, what did the black man do? Right? That's where my that's where my white brain goes, right? It's like let's call it two separate brains. That's where my white brain goes. What did they do? What did they do? Come on, let's be honest. What did they do? Mm-hmm. I watched that. And movie. I want to just say, I want to say something. For you as a black man to ask that question, that really shows how much you thought you were white. Oh, yeah. It's no joke. Yeah. What they do? Yeah. That's deep. Um, That's deep. Yeah. Um, I watched the video and I looked in that man's eyes as he was kneeling on George's neck. It didn't matter what George did. That man was murdering him. Yeah, he was murdering all of us. I could see it in his face. He was excited to be murdering us. And I just thought of the millions of other men that are just like him who are excited to be murdering us. Michael, just just take a moment. It's okay. It's not okay that he was murdered. It's okay for you to experience the emotions of this moment because... It is painful for us to uh, watch, and it's painful even for those of us who don't watch, because I don't watch those videos, because I already know the pain and trauma of it. And I always tell people, what I ask people, why are you watching it, right? Um, Because there's nothing that would justify you putting your neck your your knee on a man's neck. There's nothing really when oftentimes when we're shot and killed, we're shot and killed and our hands are hands up. up. Yeah. You know, um we're we're shot and killed when um you know why I, I think about was it Jacob Blake uh uh shot eleven times and this was after George Floyd. Mm-hmm. And this is a you know there's no justification for that. And the reason there's no justification for it is because I have seen white people, white men, boys, whatever they are, in particular, running from the police officer. And nothing ever happens. And if you can do that for someone who's in white skin, you can do it for someone who's in black and brown skin. So when people ask, what did they do? Ask, what did the police officer do? That they couldn't stop themselves. But see, what the world thinks when they look at us is that we're dangerous. You know, um, the, the, uh, what's his name? Michael, uh, he did Fahrenheit 9-11. Oh. Michael Moore did a whole series on this after the Columbine shooting. Mm. Show how much when reporters talk about Black people, a black man, they would always have him in handcuffs and suspects, suspects, mm. suspects. He mm. paired it so much that once you have that pairing in your head, that's who you think we are. Yeah. So that's why when we pass a group of black young men walking down the street, you lock your car. Yeah. That's why when a black man gets on the elevator, you pull your purse a little bit closer because, you know. Right. And so we have to look at how much we've been socialized. That's one of the things I want my listeners to take from this, because you might be listening to this show today and you've got a lot of questions or you may be giving a lot of pushback. But start taking stock, just like Michael did. Michael, you started taking stock of how am I responding to my own people? Yeah, because the language that we use indicates how much internalized racism 
that that we have. You know, when we talk about the way our folks speak or when we talk about now, now there's the counter to that because some people, some of our folks will say, well, you sound white because we're using standard English. But in actuality, we're not sounding white because we're we're the ones who came up with the language in the first place. But mm-hmm. there's there's certain types of language. I understand what 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 they're getting at, but we can't be that way against each other. Right. And we have to be able to embrace the differences between who we are, whether it's between urban and the suburban black, you know, the socio, the low socioeconomic black versus the middle versus the high. We have to show up as a unit in terms of our love and our support for one another. Not that we're supporting everything we do. Don't get me wrong. Right. But we have to say, why, why are they acting like that? Why are they shooting one another up? Right. What are the circumstances and why are the laws different for black people who do the same thing that white people do, but their laws and their sentences are different. We have to take a quick break. And when we come back, I'd love for you to, I, I see that it's, it's really hard uh, to talk about uh, what happened with George Floyd and so many others. Yeah. But I do want to ask you whether anger was one of the things that came up for you. So we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. This is the Dismantle Racism Show. I'm your host, Reverend Dr. TLC. What really drives success in business? Introducing Intangify, the show that explores the intangible assets that create value and growth. I'm Matthew Asbell, your host and an attorney focused on innovation. Join me Fridays at noon Eastern to discover how innovation, culture, and other intangibles shape thriving companies from startups to established businesses. We'll share strategies to unleash your business's true potential. Tune in live on talkradio.nyc Fridays at noon Eastern and intangify your business today. Hey everybody, it's Tommy D, the nonprofit sector connector coming at you from my attic. Each week here on talkradio.nyc, I host a program, Philanthropy in Focus. Nonprofits impact us each and every day, and it's my focus to help them amplify their message and tell their story. Listen each week at 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time until 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time right here on talkradio.nyc. Are you a conscious co-creator? Are you on a quest to raise your vibration and your consciousness? I'm Sam Leibowitz, your Conscious Consultant, and on my show, The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, we will touch upon all these topics and more. Listen live at our new time on Thursdays at 12 noon Eastern Time. That's The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, Thursdays, 12 noon on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC at www.talkradio.nyc. Now broadcasting 24 hours a day. We are back with the Dismantle Racism Show. Now, Michael, I already know I'm going to have to have you back because I really wanted to also talk a little bit about what you're doing out uh, in the world. But this conversation is so important because I believe the conversation that we're having will help shift the mindset of so many people out here. Mm-hmm. And to me, this is a part of the educating that we're doing being able to hear the stories of how racism impacts folks. So um, so I'm just ha- saying now, I will want you to come back to talk about what you're doing because, because yeah. your work now is actually working primarily with um, yeah. people of color. Uh, so you, you definitely made a big shift, I but shift. <laughs> about anger, did yeah. that show up for you in that? In oh, this- yeah. I think there was a mix or or there were two major emotions that showed up for me that year. There was fear 
um, the fear that some of this could happen to me and anybody in my family, including my young son. And there was um, there was a lot of anger. I got very, very angry for a long time. Um, and I, I think I was I was an angry young person. And some of that probably just rose back up, you know, as an adult. But, um, you know, I had some some really angry thoughts. You know, some of it I had to kind of write down and express a little bit. And and um, I, I'm probably going to be writing a book <laughs> on some of that anger. Um, and I just let that come out. And it came out in songs and the music that I was writing. The music yeah. style changed, um, became a little bit more aggressive. And um, I was willing to talk about and say some things in songs that I certainly wouldn't have talked about. My Facebook became decidedly different. Ah. <laughs> um, yeah. If you look back at my Facebook from 2018 to 2021, there is a major shift in my conversations and my willingness to challenge people on their racist behaviors. Mm. I would have so- never done that. So was that therapeutic for you then to write the songs and to write the book, to just get some of that anger out? I I don't like being angry. Mm. So, it, um, so while it's therapeutic, I also felt like I was going down a dark tunnel mm. and I didn't want to become the thing that I regularly disliked, mm. which was the angry black man. Right. So my half of my brain, my white brain is you can't do that. Don't be that guy. My black man is like, bro, it's time to come out this box. Mm. So I'm constantly fighting between these two. And then I still have a corporate identity to maintain, even to this day. Mm. I have a, I'm a president and a founder of an organization. I had somebody say to me, hey, be careful what you write because you're going to lose funders. Mm. And my, my brain is like, oh, at one that's, point, a, that's a part of the navigating whiteness, though. Oh, my goodness. Y'all have to so figure annoying. out how. Listen, it 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 does a number, you know, and thankfully, this is where having mentors comes in handy. Yeah, because I can remember, you know, sharing with a friend about something, you know, it's like, look, I'm not doing blah, 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 blah. Right. You know, because you're firm about it, you know, and, and, and I'm not kissing anybody's, but I'm not doing And he's like, don't. Hey, don't think of it that way. But let me tell you something, Michael, and to my listeners as well. It really helps me when I read works like Frederick Douglass's work Mm. or go to a play. Like I remember going to a play where Frederick Douglass was having a conversation with John Brown because they differed a little bit on Mm. their their thinking about how to approach uh, enslavement. And you know, my mother has a saying, when you got your hand in the lion's mouth, you have to move gently. Oh, we wow. have to figure out. And I say that right in my book. We have to figure out what is for the greater good. Hmm. And that's why sometimes we have to show up differently in those spaces. We can't say everything that we're thinking of saying. Mm-hmm. But we can say enough in terms of. It's it's what it's how we say what we need to say as well. Because yes. I speak up and speak out all the time, but I also don't say every single thing that I'm thinking because this it's important for us to listen, to listen to what the other person is saying, right? Listen yeah. to what they're saying and be able to to give back to them, you know what they're saying. So so tell me, I know we only have uh, just a few more minutes. Um, First and foremost, because I don't want to run out of time with this, tell people how they can get in touch with you to learn more about you. Yeah. Um, Email is always great. You can send an email to hello at givemusic.us. That's our organization. Um, Yeah. Email is probably the best thing to do. You could also check out our Facebook. We are Give Music Inc. on Facebook and Instagram. You can check us out and what we're doing. It's probably the best way. I I give my cell phone, but I don't know. That could get weird. No, no, no. no, We don't want you to do that. And uh, uh, the the wrong people might start calling you too. So so Michael, listen, we we do need to have you back because I want to talk about Give Music a a bit on our next 
uh, time together because Give Music is your nonprofit organization where you're actually going into adjudicated systems, teaching young folks how to engage in in technology. And so they'll have a skill when they come out. That's phenomenal. And the reason why that this is also very powerful in your story is because who's in prison, who's in the lockup? We are locked up much more often. And so you found a way to not to to channel uh, your own work to say, I am an advocate now. It has been a delight to have you on the show. I'm going to ask you if you would give us just uh, some words of inspiration before we go. Do you have any final uh, Uh, thoughts? If if not, um, I got you. But (laughs) I just wanted to know if you had... uh, any final thoughts? Because we got to. Um, sheesh, that I wasn't ready. Because <laughs> no, you did, you did check off that. Yes, I'd like to do that. But yeah, listen, there I, is a, I'm sorry. There's this particular quote um, from Man versus Superman uh-huh. that I really love, um, and I was hope I, I didn't pull it up. I should have had it up and ready to go. Um, but in this quote, it uh, it says, "Bob, Bob, where are you? Oh no, I don't see it." Basically, this is the true joy in life, doing a thing that um, you are, that you feel, or you are, oh, I want to use the right words. Uh, It's okay. You know what? Okay. Next time. We'll save it for next time. Yes. Thank you so much for being on the show. It has been a delight. Thank you to my listeners for being on the show today. May you uh, tap into that sacred part of you that allows you to make choices to manifest your greatness. Make it a priority to share love, hope, peace, and compassion today. Be well, be safe, be encouraged. Until next time, bye for now. business owner? Do you want to be a business owner? Do you work with business owners? Hi, I'm Stephen Fry, your small and medium-sized business or SMB guy. And I'm the host of the new show, Always Friday. While I love to have fun on my show, we take those Friday feelings of freedom and clarity to discuss popular topics on the minds of SMBs today. Please join me and my various special guests on Friday at 11 a.m. on talkradio.nyc. What really drives success in business? Introducing Intangify, the show that explores the intangible assets that create value and growth. I'm Matthew Asbell, your host and an attorney focused on innovation. Join me Fridays at noon Eastern to discover how innovation, culture, and other intangibles shape thriving companies from startups to established businesses. We'll share strategies to unleash your business's true potential. Tune in live on talkradio.nyc Fridays at noon Eastern and Intangify, your business today. Are you a conscious co-creator? Are you on a quest to raise your vibration and your consciousness? I'm Sam Leibowitz, your Conscious Consultant. And on my show, The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, we will touch upon all these topics and more. Listen live at our new time on Thursdays at 12 noon Eastern Time. That's The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, Thursdays, 12 noon on talkradio.nyc. post-COVID world, you may have many unanswered questions regarding your health. Are you looking to live a healthier lifestyle? Do you have a desire to learn more about mental health and enhance your quality of life? Or do you just want to participate in self-understanding and awareness? I'm Frank R. Harrison, host of Frank About Health, and each Thursday, I will tackle these questions and work to enlighten you. Tune in every Thursday at 5 p.m. on talkradio.nyc, and I will be frank about health to advocate for all of us. Passionate about the conversation around racism, 
Hi, I'm Reverend Dr. TLC, host of the Dismantle Racism Show, which airs every Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern on talkradio.nyc. Join me and my amazing guests as we discuss ways to uncover, dismantle, and eradicate racism. That's Thursdays at 11 o'clock a.m. on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC. Uplift, educate, empower. 